Views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil. When the feast that feeds you starves our father's children. When snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up. Peace and welcome to the new abolitionist radio on the Black Talk Radio Network, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate, agitate, agitate on the issue of 21st century legalized slavery. Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas, with new abolitionist and activist Johanna Nelaya, and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is January 11, 2017, in our broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio. We're two weeks deep into 2017 and knee-deep into Trumplandia. During the first half hour, we will speak to our special guest speaker, Ms. Nataki Kambon, pronounced Nataki Kambon, I believe I'm saying it correctly based on that. In 2014, Nataki was appointed as the spokesperson for the Let's Buy Black 365 Black Economic Empowerment Movement, where change makes sense. The Let's Buy Black 365 movement announced that they have incorporated a divestment campaign that aims to redirect black dollars away from the companies who use black labor and slave through the U.S. prison systems, including the federal government and private companies. Our second half will be dedicated to discussions and reports on events as they are unfolding in this ever-growing move to abolish 21st century slavery. In the news, in an act of utter hypocrisy, U.S. authorities have blocked imports they suspect were made with convict labor linked to three Chinese firms detaining goods, including chemicals, textile fibers, and sweeteners. The recent enforcement orders are the first since the U.S. closed a decades-old loophole in March. In New Jersey, bold legislation introduced in New Jersey last week would not only treat cannabis like tobacco, legalizing it, but would expunge records for individuals previously convicted of certain marijuana-related crimes. On New Year's Eve, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo rejected a measure unanimously passed by the legislature to shift the cost of indigent legal defense from counties to the state and raise the standards for that defense, basically saying it is too expensive to provide counsel to New York State's vast number of poor defendants. A few days ago, Johanna and I recently watched a groundbreaking must-see expose documentary called Do Not Resist, 
personally, I'm adding it to Slavery by Another Name and 13th to call it the Trilogy of Understanding. We'll give you our analysis on what we saw. It was explosive and frightening, frankly. Lastly, I recently found out I have been selected to stand among the 2017 5th Annual Spoken Word Gala Honorees as the recipient of the Will Bell Award. Our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Anthony Ray Hinton, age 58, who walked out of an Alabama jail a free man in 2015 after almost 30 years on death row for a crime he did not commit. Our abolitionist in profile this week will be provided by Scotty Reed. You can listen to the live stream on Black Talk Radio's YouTube page. If you'd like to share a comment or question, call in toll-free from the U.S. and Canada at one 866 510 or 704-802-5056. You can chat with us and others by logging in at com slash Network. Once again, I'm Max Fontes. What's happening, Brother Scotty? What's up, Johanna? Peace. Peace. Good to be here, gentlemen. Uh, peace peace to you as well, Max. Uh, Max, you might as well just say that we're streaming on every uh, so-called uh, main platform out there, the big you know, corporate platforms out there. We do believe in utilizing the enemy's tools, uh, like Sun Tzu said. So we try to get our messages out to as many people as possible. So uh, in 2017, man, we're streaming on every platform that, that's on people's um, tongue, uh, whether that be Facebook. We're live streaming on the New Abolitionist radio page, a second week in a row, of course, that's shared to Black Talk Radio. Uh, we're streaming in BTR Community, Google+, Plus, YouTube, you, you mentioned, as well as Tumblr. So, hey, 2017, we're looking to reach even more people. Like you said, Max, we coming for 2017. It's not coming for us. Word. I smell blood. <laughs> you know what I mean? After 2015, mm, is that fear I smell? <laughs> They, yeah. definitely know, they definitely know it's something. They definitely know it's a change uh, on the wind. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously this is the age of information. This is the age of revelation, where people get the information and see it and can spread it. And you know, just like Scotty said, using the enemy's tools, you know, to help dismantle the the empire itself. I mean, it, it's it's something that's it's a whole uh, three sixty approach. I mean, every angle we can, we using their tools to spread the information to create our own propaganda, to check uh, against any of the lies they telling and call them out immediately to keep everything moving in this direction. The momentum is there. Well, speaking of momentum, um, Max, you've already gave a good introduction for our guest speaker tonight who is with us. Don't want to keep her waiting. Um, uh, Sister Nataki, I have worked with her over the past year, I, I believe we just met virtually in 2016, and um, some of the, the very same issues that's important to her um, is important to, I would say, the Black Talk Radio Network family, and I've watched uh, By Black uh, 365 grow and improve and improve, and and when I heard them on one of our media partner, well, I should say I heard her on one of our media partners program this past Sunday um, talking about what now they have added and I'm talking about the divestment component um, because personally I, I, I think we need to be pushing that message because we got people out there 
And I'm not trying to talk bad about anybody. Maybe they're not taking things into consideration and they're pushing our people to invest in the stock market, but I'm not hearing anything about ethical investing. You know, my personal views on the stock market and how we uh, build black wealth, which of course starts with recycling black dollars, which is what the Let's Buy Black 365 movement is all about. But, you know, if it comes at a cost to where, you know, we're doing more harm than good and it's only a few benefiting, then we have to point those things out. We have to call the things out. And I was just, you know, I was like, wow. I was like, now they're getting behind prison slavery divestment. I was like, yes, the abolitionist movement uh, continues to grow because that is abolitionist activity. So without further delay, I want to welcome on Sister uh, Nataki. Do we have you, Sister? Yes, I'm here. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Hey, thank you for joining us, Abolition Radio. All right. Good evening, Brother Black Liberation. So, Sister Nataki, if you would just give our listeners an overview of the Let's Buy Black 365 movement. Of course, the website is Let's Buy Black 365.com. Um, we have linked to it for those who come across the podcast later on Black Talk Radio Network.com for this new abolitionist uh, podcast. Uh, you can please check them out. But would Sister Nataki, first, before we get to the divestment component, can you just give the listeners a brief overview of the mission of of Let's Buy Black 365 and how far y'all come since the original conception? Yes. So uh, I, I, I won't quote the mission, but I can share that the mission of Let's Buy Black 365 is one that takes a holistic approach to uh, black economic empowerment in recognizing that virtually everything that uh, we engage in in our lives has an economic undercurrent, and we look at how we can take a holistic approach to uh, correcting the problems in our community. Um, you know, we've listed everything from um, new slavery, new Jim Crow um, abolitionist activities, um, gentrification, undereducation. Um, unemployment, all of these things have an economic undercurrent. And so we look at how do we take a holistic approach, which includes uh, not just buying black, but also, of course, divesting, also looking at where we are investing, where we are um, building institutions, where we are choosing to social network, where we're choosing to get our entertainment and our news and information and and media. Um, it's looking at all the things that we consume and how, from a holistic standpoint, we can buy black concepts, buy black products, buy black services um, uh, 365 days a year. That's great. <laughs> no, that sounds fantastic. I'm glad that you're here today to share your efforts with us. Mm. And you know some of the some of the components or the tangible features of that um, for for those who are listening, um, as Brother Scotty shared, the website is letsbuyblack365.com. It's really important that you put the first word there. Um, we added let's l e t s at the beginning because it's important that 
um, even though we always talk about the efforts need to be individual, um, it's the individual efforts in the collective that make this um, that make these things a reality. So it's let's buy black 365.com will take you to the homepage of the site and you know some of the things you know people get there and they're like wow there's a lot there but because it's holistic and comprehensive um, you'll see that you know there's a um, we have a social network where you can post um, content uh, you'll see we'll talk later about um, people are going to start posting uh, for this divestment campaign you can create groups and post and share and network and um, you know this the space and the movement is really for individuals uh, a lot of times people think okay well this is a business network but really when we're talking about buying black even though business owners also need to look at you know who are your vendors, who are your suppliers, where can you um, resource from people who look like you. This movement is really about how each of us uh, can and we do choose uh, every time we open our wallets to either finance our oppression or finance our liberation. And mm -hmm. so this is really a movement um, where you know, even though the social network really isn't about, you know, just coming together in positivity, every every post that people make isn't about um, something related to economics, but it's really about being in a in a positive space, a a welcoming space where, uh, you know, concepts about um, about you know liberation, concepts about all these different kinds of things, in addition to just things that we are doing on in, in our daily lives. Um, can be posted and shared um, in a receptive space that is, of course, Black-owned. I was reading um, through the website. The website looks fantastic, by the way. Um, and we just posted it on New Abolitionist Radio on our Facebook page. If our listeners want to just go ahead and click it there so you can check it out. And I was looking at some of the articles, too, uh, that you were have written on. Uh, one of your blogs, I believe, and some of the things that I see there uh, definitely give me a smile, uh, pride that we're working towards these goals together. Um, the one where you expressed about being the spokesperson for the Let's Buy Black 365 and how it was started and what the ideas behind it came from, uh, as you just pointed out here as well. Um, one part where you say we're definitely against all of these things, gentrification, the prison industrial complex, but in addition to attacking the systems, we want to start with attacking the problem and the source. And yeah. for, us here, for us here, that's when we feel like we've found uh, what has always been the problem and what the problem began with, and that's legalized slavery. And, you know, we do studies and and, and all the things that we found out from the dis different experts that have been here, the news that we've been seeing, we've come to the clear realization that slavery never ended at any point in our history. It was just transformed. Even the Equal Justice Initiative spokesperson and founder, Brian Stevenson, has come to that conclusion. I think others, like Michelle Alexander, may be coming to the same realization as well. And if that's the case, then that's the source and that's the problem, and we're doing everything we can to attack that. So you uh, helping to organize with divestment campaigns is a wonderful way of accomplishing this. Uh, I'm not, I don't know if you're aware of it, but several colleges uh, began and universities began that in 2016 and 15 and were very successful. California uh, was successful with $30 million. I believe Alabama also did it with $24 million. And uh, Columbia University was the first 
with $30 million. It was amazing how many of our higher education facilities were invested in the tens of millions into private prisons. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think it's wonderful that um, from an institution standpoint that, uh, that those steps were taken. And what this divestment um, activity does is look, uh, we look at it a little differently. I don't know if we're supposed to talk about that yet. Um, but uh, right there on the homepage of the website, you can see uh, there's a there's a graphic that um, that was a concept that one of the activists with Less by Black 365, uh, Marcus, came up with. And the concept is, uh, what if there were 50 million black people on the same page? So uh, just a few million short, there, there are about 50 million black people in this country. Um, what would it mean if we were on the same page about certain things? Not looking at the reality of if that happened, but what would it mean? And, you know, in that graphic, you'll see 50 million black people on the same page means a black person doesn't have to become another hashtag. And, and that's anything from, you know, anything that we see with injustice. Um, and if you click that, it takes you to letsbuyblack365.com slash economic withdrawal. And, you know, we talked about the universities, but the, the way that this approach is happening um, looks at it a little differently. We've talked about the movement in this context before because what often happens is we as a people uh, and as individuals keep waiting for a group and a mass shift to take action. And so what you'll see on that page is success in this campaign is not measured um, by groups. It's not measured by anything except how you, the listener right now, at whatever point you hear this broadcast, whether you're hearing it live or where you, whether you're hearing it as a rebroadcast, you determine the success of this movement um, when you identify the companies that we've listed here that are invested in the prison industrial complex that are profiting off of the prison industrial complex. They are profiting mm -hmm. off of your oppression. Uh, success is measured by how you look at the list and say, I did, you know, these are companies that are investing in my oppression and I'm going to take my dollars away from those companies and I'm going to redirect them where I can to quality black owned businesses. And if there's not a quality black owned business out there, then I'm going to redirect it to another business that is not um, directly invested in my oppression. So that's how we're engaging like it. Common sense, but you know, common sense like a superpower is so rare. <laughs> I love that. I would like to speak to uh, something that you said, Sister Nataki, this is Scotty here again. Great to have you back on the network. The new abolitionist uh, movement um, that we feel like we, you know, came together, what, four going on five years now, and you were talking mm -hmm. about measuring success and the ultimate goal for the abolitionist movement is the end of slavery. And and so the work is never is never done. And so our job is to convert as many abolitionists as possible. And we don't care, you know, what other um, 
side issues or, or whatever you know a group they subscribe to or identify as our goal is to abolish slavery by like Malcolm X said by any means necessary so so with conscious black uh, people coming together uh, uh, educating themselves on the economic piece and on the business piece to address you know racism and white supremacy that's still also uh, addressing slavery as well and so I mean I just can't express enough how important it is for the Let's Buy Black 365 movement to come out publicly and identify these companies and, and tell the uh, masses within their your sphere of influence that this is slavery and we should not invest in slavery because we are in fact investing in our own oppression. So, um, hey, I, I, I again celebrate the victory, but the ultimate victory is once we abolish slavery for real this time. Well, and 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 I I totally agree with that. And the reason that we we defined um, individuals quantifying their success is because what what happens too often with um, not just uh, black social movements but social movements in general. And I shared this a little bit on uh, the program the other night. Is that um, when the target gets too big people feel like they don't have any power. They don't have any influence. They don't, it doesn't matter. And so, you know, even when we talk about, uh, you know, the, the $1.2 trillion in the black community, people say, I don't have an impact on that. So what we're saying is don't, not, not that you are ignoring the bigger picture, but your role and your responsibility doesn't have to be necessarily you know you can be an activist you can take on a bigger role but the least you can do um that has the most mm-hmm. impact is to look at it from an individual standpoint so yes you may not have millions of dollars you may not have billions of dollars you may not even have thousands of dollars but in the example i gave you know of those companies on the list there was only one that i um was giving any money to um, I divested from Whole Foods in 2015. Um, I divested from, um, I, you know, I, I, I'm vegan, so I don't do any of the fast food or any of those. On, kinds on the of Whole places. Foods, on the uh-huh. Whole Foods, Sister Nataki. Um, Say it again. On the Whole Foods, because of your action, along with a whole bunch of other people who agreed with you that Whole Foods should not use prison slave labor, uh, they stopped using prison slave labor. So thank you for divesting, because it had it certainly had an impact on that company. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so the only one left on the list for me is Verizon. Um, I have uh, cable what is it, cable, uh, internet, and, uh, and television uh, with Verizon. And so uh, this week I am switching. There's not a black-owned company that, that provides that service, so I'm switching um, to their competitor, Comcast, um, which I'm not a fan of, but they're not directly <laughs> invested um, in my oppression in that sense. So uh, I'm doing that. And so in that way, um, again, it's not millions of dollars, it's not trillions of dollars, but it's significant in in terms of 
my personal financial portfolio. We all have a personal financial portfolio. We all have a certain dollar amount that comes into our, our hands um, every day, week, month, um, or year. And the $100 that I was spending um, unknowingly with, with uh, a company that was financing my oppression is now going away from them. And it, I am looking forward to uh, December of 2017 when I can say I took $1,200, the $99 a month, I took $1,200 away from them. Um, and so it does matter. And we don't want people to get so lost in the big numbers that they forget that it's individual efforts that matter. Right, right. So the prisons, that's the reverse. They'll use individual efforts, like the exploitation that's going on with the phone calls and the phone industries and the stamps. Every individual prisoner who is literally a uh, captured uh, customer base has to buy those, regardless of the markups that are going on within the prisons themselves. Um, I, you know, I would like to just say a name real quick, a brother that passed away uh, in 1999 by the Z, name of ZL Tilmaine. And I worked with him in Patterson, New Jersey, on a campaign called Keep the Greens Black, which was doing very much what you're doing right now. We were trying to recirculate our finances amongst ourselves because we had a huge impact within the community and our finances. And it was going straight out of our pockets and everybody else's. It, it was very successful for the time with, without the Internet and things like we have today. But I, I know that there's a couple things that can really help us push this even further. One is I really think that your list here of companies that need to be divested from need to be up on billboards with what you're doing there also marked on it so more people can be aware of it. Maybe have uh, spots on television where 30-second you know, um, public service announcement or anything. More people need to be aware of these companies as much as possible and as quickly as possible, I would think. And I also think that we should be pushing for some legislation at some point that would require any goods or services that are uh, provided for in whole or part by prison labor should have some kind of label so people get a choice. That speaks to the hypocrisy. Aware, just by looking at the label. That re speaks to the hypocrisy that you were talking about earlier, Max, when one of the stories, and we have about four minutes left with uh, Sister Nataki, and then we'll also take our station identification break. But that speaks to the hypocrisy of USA Inc. Uh, calling out China for use of labor in this prison. It's, 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 it's hypocrisy. And but yet we are, we tolerate it. Um, the and I'm not saying this in a derogatory way, but the, it is mindless sometimes uh, how we will take something from from corporate media, uh, the CBS is the ABC News, and just because they say it, just because they run the propaganda, we'll be like pointing a finger along with our oppressor at another country while we sitting around. Uh, on the sidelines and not doing anything, not even the individual um, uh, actions that Sister Nataki has been talking about. But Sister Nataki, before you leave us, I want to give you the last three minutes uh, to share whatever information. And again, uh, people can go to the website that's online. Uh, you can go to Let's, that's with an S, Let's Buy Black 365.com. Sister Nataki. Yeah, because what I want uh, to definitely let people know is that this is not just a passive activity. Um, there are three things I want to let people know that they can do immediately 
Um, you don't have to wait for something to happen. Um, right now, you can um, also uh, click on community up at the top of the website and register so that you can get updates. We also want you to post what you've divested from in the group um, on Let's Buy Black 365. Um, you can also, you can go to Let's Buy Black 365 slash mobile. You can look for Let's Buy Black 365 altogether in your Google Play Store. Download the app for Connect and post what you're doing. Invite others to post it there. Again, we're not posting this on on uh, European-owned social media. We really want to um, quantify and, and, and qualify what we're doing with validation from ourselves because that is part of uh, what needs to happen as we move forward with um, these successes. We also have calls on Tuesday nights and we invite people to get involved. Uh, there's been a group that met all last year and then there was a, a new wave of people who joined after the State of the Black World Conference. This is actually one of the first steps of seven um, comprehensive solutions towards economic empowerment that's happening. So if you want to get involved, definitely um, uh, join Connect. Uh, my name is Nataki. Send me a friend request. Uh, also, uh, if you want more information, you can text uh, economic withdrawal uh, to this number. Again, you can text the words economic withdrawal and uh, you'll get more information on how to uh, get access to what we're doing. And you can text the number 301-244, and I'm sorry, I'm giving you the wrong number. <laughs> you can text the number 505-652-5555. Uh, Again, that number is 505 652 two, three, six, five. And I think that actually spells out on your phone like five zero, um, five zero five, like LBB three, six, five. So, yeah. Indeed. I'd like to say thank you as well for being here, Sister Nataki. Uh, I applaud your efforts. I've already got the page open to join the community so I can share my stories and what we've done as well down here, which is well. And uh, we will do here whatever we can to assist you in making this happen. We, we need economic empowerment, but uh, we also need freedom for those who are has had their freedom stolen. And we've got to keep that at the forefront of our mind because uh, they need us now. I say, and we also do want to invite people who um, want it. You, you mentioned wanting it on billboards and all that. Um, we would definitely love to do that. Everyone who's involved with this, myself included, uh, we're all volunteers and activists, um, but it does take money to finance the movement. So if you would like to make a contribution, uh, there is an icon on the homepage that says Fuel Change with Your Dollars. Contribute. And you can do a contribution in any dollar amount and it goes to campaigns and initiatives and activities that empower our people like this one. I know, where is the George Soros movements like this? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, don't Say it again. Soros, I said, where is the George Soros well, for movements like this? Uh, and well, you know, the thing about so taking we, money from certain groups that are not, or certain people who are not for you, is that you're then beholden to them. And I'll so say, true I'll to say, our name, so, yeah. this movement is about being fooled by people of like mind. 
All right, Sister Nataki, we're going to say, yeah, we want to thank you for joining us, and and we want to have you back. Uh, Max, you want to take us to break? Yes, sir. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. We'll be right back at these messages right here on BlackBellRadioNetwork.com. The Black Talk Media Project funds the use of new media technology in efforts to restore independent black voices to the myriad of issues affecting Afro-descendant people all over the planet. If media can control the minds of the masses, as Malcolm X once said, then you must ask yourself, who is in control of the media targeting the masses of black people today? Help bring back independence, self-determination, and respect for black culture in the production of global media by joining the effort to crowdfund new black media for the new millennium. Visit blacktalkmediaproject.org for more information on how you can invest in public black radio for the masses. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Oh, this you crazy mother... And welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. You just heard us with Sister Nataki Kambang from uh, the spokesperson for the Best Buy Black 365 Black, Black Economic Empowerment Movement. Uh, much of the information and websites that she suggested that you uh, visit and we suggest the same thing are available right here on our Facebook page on New Abolitionist Radio. So just click the link and go and support. Scotty, do you want it? Indeed, a good uh, good guest, good visit from the sister. Um, you know, the name Cambone means a lot to me. I'll never forget first time seeing Dr. Kamal Cambone come out, I believe it was around 2004 or five, uh, and put himself right into the mainstream by, with some of his, at that time, considered to be radical strategies for uplifting black folks and getting us free from the, uh, the system of, of domination, which of course includes modern day slavery as I had not fully discovered in those years. Like I said, I think that was about 2004 or five. And um, I often use his picture uh, from that speech. I think you can still find it on C-SPAN or YouTube where he said straight out, not only, you know, calling out white supremacy, but also talking about black folks. So this effort with Let's Buy Black uh, um, is, is very much speaks to that, you know, years later. We were saying that, you know, one of our biggest problems is our people are very serious about not being very serious. And you continue to see us, you know, uh, doing a lot of buffoonery and shuffling and, you know, laughing and joking and dancing and singing. I mean, even our president, who's now going out with all of this fanfare, if you remember, I mean, over the last eight years, we've seen him do jump shots, seen him doing dances on Ellen and seen him singing Al Green and and amazing grace and he just dazzles everybody with his celebrity power and uh, we know that policy has been painfully lacking even though he has commuted more 
sentences than any other president, and we appreciate that effort. But you know, for for a few thousand, there's uh, several hundreds of thousands that justifiably should be should be released. There's also many of the high profile political prisoners that have been most of them in solitary confinement for 30, 40 years plus. So a lot of these issues that we know have to do with freedom, he definitely could have spoken to, and he wouldn't have done any more damage to his so-called legacy then I mean it's not like he really built any kind of legacy that that he was trying to protect anyway he might as well have gone down as a revolutionary so peace to the sister to the Cambone family to that whole operation Let's Buy Black all of it man I I love having having uh, people come on that's got action and solutions right right solutions because we like to be solution oriented that's why we have become abolitionists because we feel not only does that word tell us what the problem is it also tells us the solution our forefathers fought hard and they got far but they didn't get all the way and we need to finish that job slavery isn't over and not by a long shot but if we keep working on it it will anyway this does lead into the first story in a strong way you know we're talking about divestment campaigns and we're talking you know some might think that it's only a half a dozen or a dozen different companies that are doing this and that's that's so far from the truth that you could not imagine it we have put a this is a link that comes from popularresistance.org on the new abolitionist page that lists multiple companies, like a couple hundred from banks, energy producers and oil, energy producers and utility, insurance, pharmaceuticals, manufacturing, telecommunications, transportation, and uh, agriculture, organizations, associations, all using prison slave labor. Just recently, the, uh, the sheriff of Massachusetts offered his prisoners to build Trump's wall. And right before that, uh, another sheriff out in Colorado offered his prisoners to replace the migrants under these new stricter laws. So it's literally taking us out of the cages and putting us right back on the plantation. So the prison industry in the United States employs, at last count, somewhere near like a million individuals that we know of. There's really no hard records on what's going on in there. And most of them are getting paid pennies on the dollar. And just recently, the United States had the nerve, had the gall, had the temerity to uh, call out China for their use on prison convict labor, going so far as to block goods and services that were being uh, sent into the United States under that were made by these suspected convicts. Some of the arguments that are listed in this article, which comes from CNN Money, and it's from six months ago. Some of the, the arguments presented by our diplomats up towards China could be completely reflected directly right back at us. It is the epitome of hypocrisy. For instance, in the part that says forced to work, in 2014, China closed its re-education through labor camps, a system that human rights groups had criticized as a means to silence individuals the government deemed a threat, including political dissidents and activists. The human rights advocates and U.S. government officials say that they believe people are still forced to work under brutal conditions while locked up in government-administered detention facilities. It's the use of state power to compel people to work and deprive them of their liberty, said Joshua Rosenwig, an independent human rights researcher based in Hong Kong, 
the U.S. government continues to investigate allegations of forced labor in Chinese prisons, including claims of confiscated identity documents and unregulated pay rates and work hours. I hadn't seen definite proof one way or another that would convince me that this type of activity is not going on, said Kenneth Kennedy, a senior policy advisor, U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. The reports are still coming in, and they're credible. Just because the Chinese government says we're not doing this is not enough to not have us move forward. There's so much that they talk about in here, including mentioning our own prison population. But again, it's to hide the hypocrisy. And the way I look at it, any argument they're making against China, we can use against them. Well, I mean, yeah, most definitely agree, man. It, 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 like you said, hypocrisy, but it's one of those situations where it's almost like you got to laugh to, to you know, not let it totally piss you off that this is real. They really are out here grandstanding and stumping for their cause. They're trying to stop China from doing these things. And then the excuses that they have for how they're able to allege that this is going on in spite of laws that are against it because that's the thing is it's illegal in China so America is is has legalized slavery has ratified it through its constitution through the state constitutions all throughout the country as we covered on this program for a one year series uh, of doing the state constitutions to show which ones and pretty much all of them ratified the 13th amendment and added that language even the free states that never had slavery Kansas, where I live, being a prime example, added that language to their state constitution where they went from rock, chalk, jayhawk, and, and this is the line in the sand where you cannot bring slavery over that Missouri state line. And for those that don't know, Kansas and Missouri share a state uh, state line in the one of the bigger cities in that area of Kansas City itself. So to have that line was significant because that's where so much metropolitan lifestyle was, was going on and on one side of the line and one side of the city. It was slavery legal, and on the other side it wasn't, and people built pride in that over the hundreds of years. But here they don't even realize that they added slavery to their state constitution. So saying all that to say, in China, it's illegal to do what they're doing. And they're attacking them for it, but it's, they've legalized the slavery here in America and are attacking them right. because they're doing it better than Americans are doing it. Um, North Carolina, again, as... Um you know, people taking individual action. So you should take the individual action if you live behind the enemy lines of USA Inc. to read your state constitution as people be talking about state rights and all and all that kind of stuff. Um, North Carolina's one of those states that they didn't exactly uh, mirror the language of the U.S. Uh, Constitution's 13th Amendment. They said that slavery will forever be abolished, period. Okay, that's the end of the sentence. But then they fin they finagle it, they f finesse it. However, you know, use words to confuse you, and they put uh, involuntary servitude as punishment for crime. Okay, so there is a difference without me me getting you know into the nuances uh, of that. But like Max was reading the very words of the U.S. diplomat who was saying these things about China. And we've documented since we've been on air for over four years, uh, since I learned that from Reverend Barber, who heads the NAACP here in North Carolina, I learned from him uh, during a press conference he was giving. He was saying that you can initiate what they call civil rights, but I don't like civil rights 
uh, or to fight for anything under that banner. It's, it's, it's human rights, if anything. Um, but I learned from him that you can file these reports and initiate these actions with the federal government just based on investigative journalism. And what have we done but not present the work of investigative journalists over the past four years and added our own commentary and brought these stories to, to the forefront and then break it down like CNN Money Will Not Do? I read the article. It spoke about the U.S. prison population. But it was only like a, a a paragraph, maybe a sentence, or maybe two sentences. But they don't the mention. The final sentence really said it all. What's the that final sentence in that little paragraph? Yeah, what's the final Where sentence? They Read it again. Why they're doing it? To rehabilitate, so-called prepare them for some jobs that they ain't gonna never get because they got. Well, I shouldn't say never, never. If they grovel enough, if they beg enough, if they say I'm gonna be a good boy enough or good girl enough, then if they got that felony slave brand, then what do their job prospects look like? So you're not training these people for any jobs that they're going to get when they get paroled or they complete their sentence. No, you've set up the circumstances so that they will go back to doing what I call street street survival crimes that, you know, the system is designed to keep a, a fresh supply or, or to keep uh, the slave population at a certain number. And and it's all well, designed that way. So for them to even say that, it's laughable. Why even include that? Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. That's laughable. Uh, but that's, that's but listen, saying, China, is, China, Louisiana has seven times the prison slave population that, they're, the, that the entire country of China have. Now, they're supposed to be right. communists and personal freedoms are so restricted. Then how is it then that you could fit their, you know, that Louisiana by itself seven times over the prison population of China? And they got a, 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 a residence of what, about a billion, more than a billion? I, I, I haven't read up on, you know, the world stats yet on what their population. So it's even ludicrous to even be for, the U, for USA Inc., and I say that with a purpose. USA Inc. incorporated in, what, 1861? So really, you uh, calling your government is a corporation. It really is. And they own a corporation. And we got to do some more research into, into uh, what, can people buy stock into this corporation called Unicor? A federal prison where they, on the Internet, advertise their services and goods that they produce and all under the, you know, re-preparing them for some jobs. What jobs? And then they're then the majority of them are black and they got that slave brand. So what are their, again, what are their job prospects look like? So this again circles back to what our, our guests about support, buying black and, and supporting black businesses it's not so that we can go to them and say, can I get the hookup? But it's so that we can go to them and, and, and pay the fair market price for their goods and services so that they can hire black people so that black people aren't forced into what they call crimes. They've legislated into crimes and then put them in, into slavery. 
So those, I mean, any hypocrisy, but we have to keep producing propaganda to point out these hypocrisies because, you know, Barack Obama, his legacy going out the door in terms of media is to classify what we're talking about tonight, what we've talked about is four years. If it's coming from a network like Russia Today or whatever the Iranian network is or or any if China had a network and they talked about it uh, calling that propaganda and equating it to your enemy combatant so we are taking considerable risks and I'm just telling people because people are not paying attention to what's going on they could declare me Max and Johanna enemy combatants producing propaganda for for Russia for China or anything so so you know but they're not gonna catch us like that because Black Talk Media Project like Sister Nataki was talking about you have to be careful about who you take money from so we've relied on uh, for the past eight years of, of people using our services and people making donations to our nonprofits so um, this story is 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 we need to blow it up but again CNN. Uh, they're in on on the slavery, and of course, they're just going to uh, repeat. They might as well have just gave you the State Department's press release, you know, as far as what they just put out. They just put out government propaganda on this story. Uh, Johanna, you were trying to speak. Well, you you kind of went back into what I was going to say, as far as relating it back to uh, what Sister Nataki was was saying with less by black. Um, and something that I wanted to ask her about, but you know, she was so eloquent in stating what she was what she was talking about, and I I, I just didn't really want to get into you know possibly uh, kind of parsing words. But with what we know to be the situation, even as it says in this article, it's talking about how critics talk about conditions can be exploitive and and inmates are poorly paid. Okay, uh, private factory owners complain that prison contra- uh, labor contracts have an unfair advantage because of the obvious slave labor costs. Uh, we've talked about states around the country, uh, Washington State, where several uh, small businesses went out of business in the mattress uh, manufacturing uh, line of work because their state prison took on those contracts and put them people right out of business. And so in areas where we're looking at manufacturing, and then we know uh, all the way to some of the top blue chip firms as far as AT&T um, and uh, Verizon, T-Mobile using uh, slave labor in terms of service work. So manufacturing, uh, where we're producing things, as well as service work, are both uh, being undercut by the slave labor, slave wage that's offered by the prison systems. So even with like less by black, that's an even uh, more compelling reason right there to align with the abolitionist movement, to end prison slavery in America, to make an effort like less by black, which is which is uh, undergirded by and has a foundation made up of black owned businesses which are job creators which are manufacturers which are distributors which are service providers uh, these people are losing opportunities at market share because they're undercut by slave labor just like everybody else is so all the more reason for all roads lead to abolitionism right you know I, I, I mentioned uh, the Soros I was kind of being sarcastic about the uh you know, alleged money that's being sent to Black Lives Matter saying, you know, the BLM movement should be reaching out to organizations like this and funding them and getting the, the word out there, you know. Uh, I've been, uh, yeah. 
I mean, look, I get what you're saying, Max. I, I don't think the way holding it against you like you were serious about that. No, I didn't think so either. I was just clarifying what I meant because sometimes I stuck at sarcasm. I try let it, me ask it you this, though. Let me, let me ask you this, though, on that subject. I mean, I don't I don't want to give it away. I mean, just in case there's somebody out there that <laughs> would be silly <laughs> enough to think to think that, <laughs> that I was really – I would really take some money and, and – where they, you know, wear their hat and and speak their Manchurian words and do whatever. I would never do it anyway. But I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't fault anybody for taking. I mean, what 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 can Soros do to you? Like honestly, BLM follows the script, and these other groups follow the script and obviously push agendas that I mean, it's obvious. It, it's not just some propaganda or just me hating on them. Well, you can see it. These people talk about what they talk about. They disappear when it's something that they don't have uh, authorization to speak on they all speak like uh, how you watch like national news broadcast uh, local news stations across the country all read from the same AP Newswire script these groups that are not aligned with abolitionism all speak from the same George Soros open society's script so my point being though I don't see a problem with anybody putting their hand up and taking however much money they give out whether it's 5,000 or 500,000 5 million and then go right on and do what you what you want to do anyway. I mean, what are they gonna do? Sue Yo, honey, take the money back. Yo, honey, in, in um, two thousand and nine or two thousand and ten, on the recommendation of a white person who is a writer uh, who was following the you know the work of, of Black Talk Radio Network. And so she recommended that I apply for this grant. I'm I'm nonprofit. I'm looking for funding. Um, I'm focused on a specific need, independent black media. And she recommended I apply to the Open Society and even gave me a recommendation. Um, and, and a couple of other professors gave me a recommendation. And I had applied for, I think it, I forget what the grant was called. Um, speaking of Michelle Alexander, who you mentioned earlier, that's uh, she got... Um, a grant from them to write to take a year off from teaching whether they call it a sabbatical and uh, he funded her or they funded her to give her time off and that's the book she came up with where they calling it you know mass incarceration instead of slavery continuation of slavery actually the mass increase of slavery because there's more slaves today than there was at any time in 18, 1860 so well, I applied but I guess they didn't see, you know, black people shouldn't be producing independent media or, or what have you. So I I applied. Um, but again, I'm not telling anybody not to apply. If you can use who you consider an enemy um, and you might agree on a couple of points and they'll give you some money to focus on those couple of points. But as, as long as it's that and they're not trying to prevent you or control your messaging in any other way, I'm not going to tell anybody not to take that money, okay? Because they taking our money, okay? So I'm going to stay codified and, you know, we could have these private conversations off offline, but, you know, but it, it still remains true. What we have is people getting addicted, what they call the nonprofit industrial complex, where you get addicted to these grants and paying yourself a salary and you want, you know, whatever you have to do. Yes, Massa, I will say whatever you want me to say, focus on more on this if you give me more money for that. And it becomes about that. And and, and so you do have to always be on guard for that because it ha it's happening to so many um 
um, so-called organizations fighting for black people. And I, yeah, I'm gonna call out names. I, somebody said something earlier. I'm gonna call the name out because black people's giving their money to it. And that's the National Action Network and also the NAACP National. I'm not calling out any states or in, uh, their leadership. I'm not calling out any individual chapters. I'm talking about the one that I can visit, the main, whoever controlling the website. When you have these workshops and stuff that's supposed to help black people, but it's sponsored by Wells Fargo and these other corporations that's practicing slavery, you having a conference somewhere and on your marketing material, on your banners, AT&T is on there, Wells Fargo is on there, and these are people who are heavily invested or utilizing prison slave labor. So those are my thoughts. Right, and if you look at their webpage, you'll see in their list of things that they're trying to work on, the seventh thing, the very last thing is criminal justice, which basically puts anything that has to do with the injustice going on against people of color into this big bucket list. We don't seem to get our priorities in order. Uh, also, just for the listeners' sake, uh, when I was a presenter at the Carolina Human Rights Organiz Organizing Conference in 2016, uh, the prison slave labor uh, subject was part of my presentation. Part four, which includes that, is up on New Abolitionist Radio now if you want to see more. You know, we've got commercials and prisons saying, hey, bring us your, 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 your manufacturing, bring us your businesses. These people we have behind bars now is a perfect fit. They go in every day. They never take days off. They don't have babysitter problems. They don't have travel problems. And they're here every day willingly. But we know that is not the case, at least not a lot of times. Some do. Some will work for 10 cents an hour because you ain't going to get nothing nowhere else. It's the only way you're going to buy those Nikes that they make you buy. Is it Nikes that you buy in prison? The white shoes? Which company is that that has an, uh, a monopoly on the shoes in there? Is it Nike or New Balance? One of them. You can look it up on Google and find out. But how else are you going to buy those things? Where are you going to get your Ramon noodles when your family don't have no money to give you? And how are you going to make them phone calls so they'll work for 10 cents an hour? Who wouldn't in such a condition? And what uh, what other option do they have? Um, from right. that first article you were talking about, they're saying the Chinese force them, you know, force labor and what have you. Well, they, they beat our prison. They beat our people. They beat these people. These are slaves. I hate to call them that because that's a dehumanizing term. But sometimes we have to just call it what it is and shock people to reality. This is with slavery. They're being treated like slaves, so I, I'm going to call it as, as I see it. But they are throwing people into solitary confinement, which is torture under international law, recognized by the international medical uh, and health community, put them in the hole, take other privileges away from them, what meager privileges they have, so, uh, again, the hypocrisy. But uh, we have about two minutes to the top of the hour. We'll take a station ID break. But, I mean, let's keep it free-flowing. Uh, if anybody that has any questions they would like to ask or any observations they would like to share with our listening audience, you could do so by giving us a call at the numbers listed uh, where you may be uh, tuned in from. But I'll give those out on air. That is 866-510-510. 
and hit star star to unmute yourself. I'll see you on the board and I'll interrupt and, and let let uh, whoever's speaking know we have a caller. All right, uh, Max. Indeed, you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio right here with Black Talk Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network dot com with Scotty Reed Johannes, Liar and Max Parthas. When we come back on the other side, we're either going to take calls or go into our story about New Jersey and what they're doing with marijuana legalization and expungement, releasing people from prisons who were arrested on marijuana charges, very much like what uh, several other states are doing now. Hopefully, many more governors will do the same. We'll be right back after these messages. Podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio, uh, where we're talking about modern day slavery and human trafficking. One of the stories that we want to get into, uh, Johanna, if you would like to, to cover it, you can read it. I just want to introduce this. This is my home state, New Jersey, you know what I mean? Apparently, this story comes from the Free Thought Project, um, and uh, they've been labeled as fake news, but this is not fake news. State proposes bold law to treat pot like tobacco and expunge all records of marijuana crimes. That's something that is beautiful. It gives a lot of opportunity for freedom. It takes away the stigma that people have been carrying around with them for having these felony or uh, charges on their records, especially for children. And in New Jersey, there are people doing some considerable time for marijuana laws. And while you pull that up, I also want to mention one more thing. Uh, In New Jersey, I'll be there in September of this year, as a matter of fact, at the 2017 conference, Bridging the Gap Between Community Service Advocacy and Leadership. I'll be there as a presenter. Uh, That's September 25th, 2017. It's Tuesday, September 26th, 2017 at the Sheraton Atlantic City Convention Center Hotel 2 Convention Boulevard, Atlantic City, New Jersey. So uh, if you're able to come down there, we are also going to be doing some serious problem solving together as a community in New Jersey. You got it? Uh, Yeah. As uh, you were saying, this is from uh, the Free Thought Project, but um, I'm looking at this New Jersey uh, State Legislature, 217th Legislature, Assembly Number 4193, uh, this is uh, the the proposed uh, legislation as introduced September twenty second two thousand sixteen by Assemblyman Michael Patrick Carroll. So I mean, it's that's as real as it gets, uh, as far as we know. I mean, we live by the laws passed by the states. So here you go. Um, this uh, bill uh, says if the bill passes, uh, convenience stores will be permitted to sell cannabis alongside cigarettes available to anyone age nineteen and older. Uh, the bill would legalize marijuana by removing all criminal liability associated with marijuana from the New Jersey Code of Criminal Justice, as well as this regulation as a controlled dangerous substance under the New Jersey Controlled Dangerous Substances Act. Um, it's, uh, like I said, sponsored by Assemblyman Michael Patrick Carroll, um, 
who was once deemed as the so-called most conservative member of the state's legislature, um, says that the legislation legalizes marijuana, provides records expungement for a certain past for certain past marijuana offenses, and treats marijuana products similar to tobacco products, including the use of civil penalties for providing marijuana to persons under 19 years of age. Carol's bill audacious. Carol's bill audaciously thumbs its nose at the DEA. DEA's vehemently criticized decision this year not to reschedule cannabis from its current inex- inexplicable designation as a dangerous substance of no medical value akin to heroin or cocaine. Um, so there you go. I mean, you said you put the link up. It goes on at length to kind of talk about more about his opinions on the matter, but I mean, I think we got enough information just from what they're trying to propose uh, and we can kind of riff off from there because as we often discuss, whether it's uh, corrupt officials, uh, public uh, corruption or, or, or uh, breaking uh, constitutional law, people's in, uh, human rights uh, or constitutional rights, all these different criminal acts or things that are found as being wrong, whether morally or legally, uh, even if the belief system changes. Yeah, it's one thing to get a declaration or to get one person or the type of legislation that we actually need to see that actually drills on down into the real issue. It really goes into it and talks about not just the one person or the one uh, law change or the one thing that's named, but the thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people who make up your city, who make up your, your friends and family and coworkers and church members and the people in your neighborhood who are who have been affected by these laws and lost their lives, lost all chance to be competitive out here in the in the in the rat race we all running. So that's the thing I like about it is it goes into talking about getting people out and changing the designation on their criminal records uh when they when they change the law behind this uh behind cannabis. Right, right. And it eliminates that uh vein that allows us to be criminalized and, and arrested and hunted over a damn plant. <clears throat> so when we move, uh, when we have this million march uh, for prisoners on Washington in August, uh, that's one of the demands that we'll be making there of the governors across America. That the governors can start making these decisions to do this, just like we saw the governors or not do, right? Yeah. So they can do this themselves and should be doing it, like right now. If right. You're wrong, do it. Right. You want to claim states' rights? Yeah. Uh, it's your right to set the slaves free. You don't have to go along with the federal government with this nonsense of classifying a plant that people have used for thousands of years uh, for medicinal purposes and whatever purposes they want to use it for. Just the idea that somebody could go out there and take a creation from the creator or, or even if you don't believe in a creator but something that just grew out the ground like everything else and criminalize possession of it and use of it that you can throw somebody into slavery just the absurdity of that just the absurdity of it and and so um, I heard a caller earlier today uh, on a, a media partners uh, program and which we carry on the Black Talk Radio Network and they were saying that they were focusing on economics and they were saying that's the way to go which we just had a guest on in their movement they're focused on it on the economics but but we are not going to kill this beast with a singular 
approach. You have to attack it from all angles. And, and I do subscribe to some of the teachings of Neely Fuller Jr., uh, a counter-rated racist author, and his nine areas of people activity. And and that we have to, that's the battlefield, is those people activity areas. And if, if we're not attacking or making preparations in the different ways that people who practice slavery come come at us, then, you know, we have what we have, and that's modern-day slavery and human trafficking. I don't mean to, to laugh, but it's just so plain to me that I don't understand, well, I do understand because of media and propaganda and fake news uh, telling you that Lincoln abolished slavery in 1865 and what have you. But politics is number six in those nine areas of people activity uh, that Mr. Fuller listed. And the only way that these uh, enslaved persons in New Jersey have a chance to, who are enslaved over cannabis, whether you agree with them using it or not, if you don't like, if you see that it has some kind of ill effect on a person, do you go to that person? You do like like what's portrayed in the movies, since a lot of people watch movies in the media, how the Nation of Islam approach to people hooked on drugs. Malcolm X gave a speech, said, you know, we don't blame the victims. We don't punish the victims. We help the victims because we, we know what's behind it. We know who's really running the drug game and all these uh, 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 devices. But so uh, in attacking the beast, this is this only came about because of people activity in politics and people when people say it's a waste of time or they criticize other people for being involved in politics and whatnot i feel like that just leads to confusion among victims i also think that i think it makes a person look like they really don't understand the the width and the breadth of this beast and 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 that for them to even think that their way is the only way, and everybody else should, you know, uh, uh, get off of whatever path they're on. I'm everybody stay on their own path. If your focus is on this people activity area, and your focus on kind of racism and ending slavery, because racism came out of racial classifications came out of slave codes. So so stop criticizing people for what they're doing if they're trying to do something constructive. Let's all attack this beast in different ways and see how we can coordinate right. our efforts. But the people that's in New Jersey that's behind this effort, kudos to you. Keep pushing free to say, because really New Jersey legalized medicinal cannabis um, years ago, man. I remember, uh, what's his name, New Jersey weed man, Ed Fortion, where he no, took... It's not legalized. What's that? No, it's not legalized. It, it, it's yes, not legalized they did. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. I reported on a story. I brought him on air. He used it in his defense. The state had, they had a ballot initiative in, in uh, what's his name? Chris Christie has been stopping the uh -huh. implementation. But they legalized medicinal uh, cannabis. They just haven't okay, implemented okay. it yet because of Christie. Right, right. So, yeah. That's all I got to say on that. Good job, abolitionists up there. If anybody, if we can free one, what's the quote by Harriet Tubman? All right. Uh, what, what's, her, what's her quote? I freed, I freed a thousand. I, I could have freed a thousand more if I could have just convinced them that they were still slaves. Well, 
we could convince hundreds, of, I mean, we could free hundreds of thousands if we could just convince those who are not on a prison plantation that slavery was never abolished and that those people are enslaved. We got to convince, you know what I'm saying? Everybody else right. that slavery does in fact exist. Max. One of the ways that they're making it is our next story, as a matter of fact. Um, and, and the way the process works is it's not just the marijuana. The marijuana is one thing. And we know that that's a huge part of the drug arrest from 2016's record, as we've reported here on this program. But it's other ways, too. For instance, a lack of counsel at trial, which leads to the mythology of a Sixth Amendment, where you have a right to a fair and speedy trial by a jury of your peers. Which never manifests because 95% of all uh, felony convictions ended a plea bargain. But here in New York, or not here, but in New York State, there was a uh, another piece of legislation that was going out uh, with bipartisan support, and they were making it their priority in order to uh, provide legal counsel for the poor who just fill up these prisons and jails in New York State, which... By the way, New York State is one of the places that makes the most money on um, incarceration. One of those places. They're just incarcerated teenager in New York State through one of these private facilities costs as much as $353,000 per year per child, which we've often called a bounty on the children's head. So one of the articles, I'm just going to read part of these two articles to you. The first one to come out said, with this legislation, Senator DeFrancisco and Assemblymember they have created a historic opportunity to repair New York's broken public defense system, said NCLU Legislative Director Robert Perry, for 50 years now. Neglected to provide, New York neglected to provide poor New Yorkers with the constitutional right to an attorney. I'll have to repeat that because maybe some didn't get it. This is a constitutional violation that's been going on for how long? 50 freaking years. For 50 years, New York neglected to provide New Yorkers with their constitutional rights to an attorney, destroying lives, depleting county resources, and driving mass incarceration. This is no longer acceptable. It's time that New York upholds fairness and justice for all. For the past 50 years, New York has abdicated its constitutional responsibilities to provide public defense for people too poor to afford an attorney, resulting in a patchwork of county-funded programs which are, for the most part, dysfunctional and underfunded. Public defense attorneys carry as much as five times the maximum number of cases recommended by the American Bar Association. As a result, poor New Yorkers are often forced to appear in court with little or even no legal assistance and face excessive high bails and long prison sentences for little more than misdemeanors or petty crimes. In October of 2014, the NCCLU reached an unprecedented settlement with New York State in the lawsuit Hurl Herring versus New York, with the state agreeing to authorize the state's Office of Indigent Legal Services to fund and monitor major reforms in public defense in Ananda, Syracuse, Suffolk, Ontario, Schuyler, and Washington County. So this was coming out, and everybody just thought it was going to pass because it was time, and everybody agreed, and it was bipartisan. And then in the other article, titled Editorial, An Unjust Stroke of a Pen, the governor, Cuomo, vetoed the entire bill. 
And in there they say there's some disingenuousness in the governor's defense of this veto. His office says negotiations went on to the last minute, not mentioning that they didn't even start till last week, more than six months after the bill had passed. Mr. Cuomo now objects to what was plainly apparent, that the state ultimately would be required to take over the full cost of assigning counsel, estimated at between $550 and $800 million a year. The governor said that providing your constitutionally guaranteed right to counsel is simply too expensive for New York State. Gentlemen? Sound like some of the uh, same old, same old to me in terms of of the state of New York and New York City specifically uh, running some kind of RICO scam up there. That's what it sounds like to me. Anytime we hear these stories about these schemes and and they're uh, raising large sums of money by ticketing and fining people and the court costs and, and all of that. And hey, it's a part, it's an element of slavery, you know. So, so that's what I feel like is going on. And again, to the legal community out there, start filing some of these civil lawsuits in federal courts, attacking it these problems this way, and sue these municipalities under RICO, under federal RICO. SPLC already did the test case. We theorized about. The strategy when uh, when Ferguson report came out, SPLC was the first one to put that legal strategy to the test and came out with a successful outcome. So that's what I would say to any grassroots organizations with a legal uh, wing to it. I don't. I, yes, I do understand why the NAACP Legal Defense Fund aren't filing these. Maybe they don't know about the strategy, but these people with the school. Uh, for this, you know what I'm saying. They spent lots of money to get these degrees, but um, organizations that have the team of lawyers like that, um, it's a proposition needs to be made to the Abolitionist Law Center. Of course, they've been representing uh, Mumia. Uh, I don't know what their budget looks like, but they they should um, seem like it would be along their line of work to use this strategy. Um, but SPLC did us a great service, man, by testing that and uh, coming out successfully. Uh, Johanna, are are you there, man? Are you having problems with the board? Let me unmute you. Okay, Max, uh, you go ahead, Max. Cause, uh, um, well, I just feel like Johanna, These are the you people there? that need to be held. Their feet need to be held to the fire, like Governor Cuomo. How could you come out your face, and as a person who has sworn for public office to uh, protect the Constitution and the rights of its citizens, state constitution as well as uh, federal constitution, and then you're going to deny them their rights wholesale, based on nothing other than their economic conditions, whole scale denial saying that you are just not worthy of this right is what they're saying. How we can veto that is it's beyond that cycle, man, that I was talking about. Like Louisiana and Alabama. Yeah, that's that... you trying to talk? <laughs> I think Johanna might have went to sleep, man. He must have had a hard day at work because it sounds like cuz is snoring. Oh, my... <laughs> Yo. no, I, I don't know if I heard that. There... 
Yeah, I don't know if I heard snoring. Maybe it would sound like it's something going well, on we, with the computer, we hope, maybe? Or sound? No, because he was fine earlier. I'll hit him up in the chat. Uh, hopefully he's okay. Um, but yeah, Max. Uh, again, it's it's to keep that condition out there to keep people primed to become slaves. It's that simple. Yeah, it's like a big meat grinder. Yeah, you got to yeah, create it. those conditions. And we know that a lot of this exploitation comes in the form of tickets and fines, particularly for foreigners or immigrants or people, anybody in black neighborhoods. And we also know the feelings about how former mayors have felt about those communities, criminalizing entire communities and putting them into this meat grinder. And now if you get picked up like you're a Sandra Bland who happens to be in New York, uh, the Sandra Blands that are in New York, for instance, uh, you're not even entitled to counsel. You have to uh, hope and, to, and pray to God that the guy who has been working five times as many cases as is suggested by the bar is able to manage you and the other four people uh, cases simultaneously. In places like, uh, I believe it's Louisiana, we know that they're handling as many as a thousand cases a year. How can you possibly expect to represent somebody, particularly in some of the charges that are being made? So these public defenders who are overworked and overburdened simply resort to plea bargains. Let's, let's go with a list of people who are going to uh, go through plea bargains to the prosecutor. And they sit there in a matter of minutes, handle as many cases as they need to handle. Well, um, that I think we got one more story that I wanted to go over. I hope I hope that we can get a, a Yahan back because what I wanted to go over was the uh, movie that me and him had saw recently. I don't know if you've seen it yet uh, or not, Scotty Reed. I've been suggesting it. Yeah, y'all take. Do not resist. Yeah, I, I'm aware yeah. of it. I hadn't had time to watch it, man, because I've been really trying to get you know some of our um, software and you know increasing our ability. Um, to get messages out to the masses, so I hadn't had time to watch a movie, but um, yeah, I've well, been I've been hearing what y'all been writing about it. So uh, yeah, Johanna, yeah, Johanna, something going on with Johanna, man. So it, it might just be you giving a review. Well, uh, whatever we need to do, I think that people should see this movie. I call it a must see, and I'm going so far as to say that I'm adding it to. Slavery by Another Name, PBS, which explains convict leasing and how that works. So you can see the transition literally in the words of the people who experienced it uh, being reenacted from 1865 all the way up through the Industrial Revolution and how they built these railroads and these mines and all the way up to 1928 in Alabama when the cave-in occurred, killing 145 people who were mostly in there for nothing more than vagrancy laws when they were shopping for black people in black neighborhoods and then putting them into mines as slaves, unpaid servants, working through the prisons who were leasing them out to the giants. Well, the next one after that, of course, is the 13th, which shows you how they did that. Okay, they created convict leasing. Well, how did they do it? With the 13th Amendment. It shows you the progress from after that convict leasing stage all the way up into 2017 through uh, corporations or organizations like Alex, which basically control our lawmakers and our laws and they're writing our laws to uh, give us these uh, outcomes like the three strikes law and minimum sentencing and they're financing everything up to presidential candidates we know that uh, Hillary Clinton for instance was taking money from the private prison the uh, CCA as much as 
six months or even three months before she announced her official presidential campaign. Remember that, Scotty? I mean, no, I, I do time. remember. I do remember uh, DeRay McKisson and I when he was tweeting on Twitter about how he was going into this meeting or she was going to take a meeting with BLM. And I tweeted at him. It's on the Twitter record. I said, ask her about them private prison donations. And, and this thing we know, video coming out of her being asked that. He did ask her. And um, right. then she divested. And she divested. Uh, her, she her, divested, liquidated her stuff. Yeah. I don't trust him no further. I can throw him, Scotty. So slavery by another name tells us what happened in the past. 13th tells us where we're at in the present. In the present and do not resist tells you where we're going. It's so clearly uh, laid out without a narrative. You don't have somebody there telling you what's going on. It's simply a series of clips of uh, events that have unfolded over the past few years and some uh, narrative or discussions from people like police, SWAT team members, politicians, uh, people in the urban communities who have been affected by this, and, and what they are saying at the moment. They even take you on SWAT team raids, listening to the SWAT team members talk about what they're doing as they break people's windows and break down their house, uh, break down their doors with what must cost maybe ten or twenty thousand dollars for a single raid, and they terrorize an entire black family in this video, for instance, and finally find, after searching everywhere for everything, an old backpack with a very small piece of marijuana bud in the very bottom of it. And for that, they arrested a man and took him down to jail and charged him with possession for a very small piece of marijuana, a $20,000 SWAT team raid for that. So they show you the SWAT man. team's opinions of what it is they're doing. They are pretty much happy with their jobs, thinking they're freaking supermans out there. And then they go back the next day and talk to the family and watch the, the broken down property and they, even the police are saying you know we go to some of these houses multiple times and the door is still broken down from the last time we were there that is terrorism on a level that is unimaginable you know SWAT teams have grown so much I believe that in the 80s it was like 3,000 a year and now it's somewhere like 80,000 a year well, that's how uh, big uh, H-Rap Brown. most of what they do is serve warrants uh, so they had that in there H. Rap Brown, uh, H. Rap Brown, uh, also known as Imam Jamil Alamine, that is his name, but most people know who H. Rap Brown uh, was, and um, he warned of this man. And it, there's a documentary where he was giving an interview to um, racist suspect media, and he was saying that when the man uh, gets ran off from everywhere around the world and he can't continue to fight you know, all around the world, that he's really going to turn it inwardly, and they're going to be waging war uh, right here. Now, the war has been waging, of course, he would agree, for 500 years, but what he was really talking about was the militarization of the police. That's what squad teams are. The, these are like the special forces of, you know, the military. They would be like the Green Berets or, or you know, what, whatever. Special Ops, Navy SEALs, where they going in the poor communities, busting down the door, shooting little girls in the head like Ayanna Jones in Detroit. May, may she rest in power with the ancestors. But he warned of this, man, and, and, it, and it continues, and, and it continues. So it's not, so again, um, we have to be honest in our assessment 
uh, how when we talk about how far we've come since this point in history or that point in history. But I use that guideline because that's around the time I was born in 1966. So I'm looking back in history, you know, and seeing people like him, people like Malcolm X, like Martin Luther King, talk about the uh, issues that black people was facing um, back then. And now I'm an adult. I'm his uh, literally 50 years later, as I just turned 50 in November, and I'm seeing the same doggone thing going on. So, so these organizations that we have been giving money to and giving our energy to, as Dave Otando Radio Show would say, that we put all this energy behind. Uh, we have not gotten great results in terms of, of of eliminating any aspect of slavery. It's only gotten worse. So, the, you know, the squat teams and all of that, that is just a representation of the, they're, they're just, they're, they're your super predators, man, in terms of slave catchers. Those are the super slave catchers right there. When they come in, it's best just to give up. And and take your chances was, in court, and hopefully somebody won't be the fool that uh say I convict this person for having cannabis or whatever substance, uh whatever nonviolent crime. You know, we have to call people out in these jury boxes. Every person that's in modern day slavery got there because a jury agreed. If they took a jury trial, we had to start telling people stop taking plea deals. Stop listening to that attorney, that defense attorney. Stop. Yeah, I know you're facing more time in, in slavery, but if there, if more people willing to take that risk and then, you know, give people like me a chance uh, who might possibly be on that jury and I'll play yes or massa and just get on there and I'll be like, nope, you know, not guilty. The government did not prove his case. Uh, this was a tool in abolitionism back in the 1830s when they passed the Fugitive Slave Act. So we all had to take responsibility for this monster. Well, there was a, two, a couple of things that really stood out for me in this groundbreaking, eye-opening film. Uh, one of the things, for instance, was the Department of Justice is literally using the supply of these military-grade uh, geared to different police forces across the country as a way of money laundering. They, uh, uh, from what I understand, 40% of these uh, isn't even used. It was never used. It's coming straight <laughs> from the manufacturer free to the police departments. All they got to do is basically sign for it as a grant. And in some cases, I was hearing during a congressional hearing about this matter in that film that there's at least one sheriff's department which has a total of one officer in its entire department, but yet he has two of these MRAPs, I think they're called, uh, military vehicles for his department. There ain't but one damn officer. Why do you have $5 million or $3 million worth of uh, high-grade military vehicle gear? It's, it's beyond me. So it seems to me that the Department of Justice has been using this as a money laundering scheme to get this money working with these arms dealers that uh, they're in bed with. And the, the Department of Justice is no friend of ours because they keep uncovering all these things, coming in like here about we're going to do our report. They do their report. They find their constitutional violations, and they never even freaking come back. Just like 
the representatives out in Ferguson, I believe the police chief out there was saying, you know, we sat down, we talked with them, they did this, they said they're going to work with us, and they never came back. And we're about to go into another administration, and you know damn well they're not going to follow up on those investigations in places like Ohio and Detroit and so on. So that really struck me as profound, the depths of knowing involvement that the FBI, the Department of Justice, the CIA are all in in this money laundering scheme using military grade weaponry that they're giving to our police force, turning them into an armed occupation on a scale we've never seen before. Well, you and know, Max, scared- um, when when you have a yeah. uh, um, remember we reported on that that prison slave rebellion at MTC owned facility down there in Texas, little boy, you know, not far from the border. And where they was making them sleep in them tents out there, and they was getting bit up by the, you know, the wildlife yes. and and oh, all of it. Willacy County, Willacy County, Willacy County, yeah. It, it, and they went on strike. Well, see, when you have the threat, they know there's a threat that of slave rebellions like that. You know, violent slave rebellions, and so that's also why they also arm these people to the teeth like that, or they're calling for it. You know, especially if they have a couple of prisons in those counties, slave, you know, big large slave plantations. So that's why they also uh, doing doing that. Um, so yeah, yeah, they're delusional about Max, what it is that Max, leaves though, their belief factors. But Max, I understand the frustration yes. that people have when the Justice Department go in there and do all this investigation, and like the Fergus report, even cite that federal laws were broken. But then subsequently, there's no prosecution. So we don't have to wait for their permission. Maybe we can't prosecute them criminally, but we can take that information, which is pu- a public report and do again what the SPLC just did and sue whatever entities, municipalities, you know, a lot of these sometimes police departments are incorporated or whatnot. And if they're in collusion with the city or the city manager like we saw saw in Fergus, take them to court, sue them for civil damages and change for 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 monetary damages and for um uh, what they call it punitive where you have to change the laws or this person resign as a as me you know if I'm going to agree to settle this lawsuit I, I want uh how much money did y'all take rob from the people last year a million dollars what did they report max was it a million dollars a year they was taking off the poor people in Ferguson so uh no it's three million three, three million. million they started out at like a little over a million and then they got together with the sheriff's department and the county city council asked if they could increase the number of tickets and fees that they were providing in order to get you know get right, more money right, for right, the county. Right. so there and is a financial like 1.2 million or over three million dollars in just a year so there's a financial record uh, there, you could go back even uh, several years and identify when their revenue. Look at it on, on the graph and look at when there was a spike. You start to see a spike or a steady incline increase on that graph of them uh, pulling in revenue. And of course, you know that's going to match up with more ticket writing, more fines, more jail, uh, bail all of that kind of stuff. So that's your evidence you take in there to sue for monetary damages and and how much ever money you took from the people, that's how much we want in monetary damages and then for punitive damages, uh, we want this and that person to resign 
and uh, we want certain ordinances passed and, and training or whatever you want implemented. That's what we had to do is come up with localized class action lawsuits under targeting them under federal RICO laws. SPLC has already done it. It's a sound legal strategy. Well, if, if I make the final part about that film that I, I really stood out for me was what it predicted. That, and it's really being predicted. It showed it's happening already. The level of surveillance is beyond belief. And the pre-crime uh, uh, conditions that they're forming, they're working on programs that can predict allegedly who's going to commit a crime. Uh, they say their prediction capabilities are so well that they monitor the families of the people who come to visit prisoners so they can determine if the family member is also going to likely commit a crime. And one of these uh, misguided men who sit on there as a part of this system on this film was talking about how they're at a stage now where they can... Uh, talk to a spouse or interview a spouse of a prisoner and determine whether or not that person who is not pregnant yet will have a child that is 50% likely to commit a homicide. And they're like, what do we do with this information? How do we tell a woman that you might just have a baby who's going to kill somebody? And if we have that information, shouldn't we act on it? And what he was talking about isn't a question, it's something they're doing. In Los Angeles, as we speak right now, there are vehicles that are driving around, police vehicles with police in them, that have uh, videos that scan wide swaths of the area, including the people in the area, using facial recognition technology. It also scans the license plates of the cars around it using technology that instantly searches for warrants and uh, any kind of information on people who didn't even really gain any attention. They just happened to be in the swath of that car as it's driving. And this computer, which thinks so much faster than people, can now tell the officer that the guy that just they just drove past has an outstanding warrant. Officers usually don't even care what the warrant is. They probably don't even know what they look about the warrant, what the warrant comes from. It could be anything from speeding tickets to littering tickets. But now they have a, a willingness to go and get you Maybe it's a speeding ticket from three years ago and eight states away. I don't know. But nonetheless, just because they happen, you happen to be there in the area of this scanning, you can be uh, monitored and identified immediately. They also showed technology that was brought back from the war with these drones, which are being used right now. And we saw them used in places like Baltimore, where the drones are perpetually flying overhead and taking complete images of everybody's interactions out in the open below them. So they know the movements of everybody in that whole damn city and what they're doing. And they have as many as 20 people sitting at computer desks monitoring swaths of this from overhead. This is happening all damn day long. It's something out of 1984, and I hate to be cliche, but this is just incredible, man, that not are they going to do this, it's already happening. Max, uh, Chicago, we report... Yeah, minority that. report in play. And, of course, it's based on race. Because, you know, they're not scanning in Beverly Hills. <laughs> You're not going to find them scanning out in the Hamptons. 
there's not there's no scamming going on in there. You don't need to know whose face because those are senators and doctors and lawyers and congressmen. But down in the hood, everybody's getting scanned, and everybody with outstanding warrants is getting arrested. Well, How Max, many do this, I need today is, is the only question that officer needs to answer. This is not anything new. It uh, reminds me of the story we reported on, I don't know how long ago it was, of Chicago and their gang databases. And gang databases, Chicago, not the first to do it. Um, but I think Chicago had spent like a million dollars or something. I don't know what the annual budget was, but I remember they sunk a whole lot of money into a computer um, where when they doing their little stops or whatnot and saying people was affiliated with this gang or with that gang and the, these are juveniles, a lot of them juveniles and you putting them into this database and then saying that you can predict where crime is going to happen like the computer display is going to show like some blinking red light, you know, it starts glowing. It and, does, it does, yeah. Scott. It has like these four different colors that pop up that determine whether or not you're going to commit a crime with like the red bar, a yellow bar, a green bar, an orange bar. And and all they have to do is just type in the, the uh, they don't have to type in anything. Basically, it's a scan you and that's what shows up on their screen. Well, like, you can do that, though. Listen, listen. I bet you, I wonder who put together these algorithms and stuff like that because, again, look at the data you can feed into it to make those predictions. So if you also include, like, say, for Chicago, um, if y'all Google something like a poverty map, let's say Google poverty map for Chicago, or find some of those maps. I, I looked at some of those about a year or so ago. And these so-called hot spots where there's a lot of crime, there also is a lot of poverty. So that's some of the data that you can feed into this computer and this person and whether or not their family, if they live in a single parent, so-called single parent household, if the father got felonies or is in prison and what's the likelihood to this child, you see what I'm saying? The circumstances for those things to happen are being engineered by the very people that's talking about they trying to prevent a problem trying to prevent crime when the crime is 21st century slavery and human trafficking and you have just gotten very sophisticated and technological with your slave catching that's why I said these misguided people who are operating under misconceptions of what's going on like the article or the video you shared recently about Glenn Beck when Glenn, Glenn Beck is talking about how the Black Lives Matter was running around chanting uh, kill cops when the truth of the matter is Fox News had edited a uh, peaceful chant to make it sound like they were saying to go out and kill a cop. Since here we got Glenn Beck on national television telling everybody that this is a, a fact. No, Max. Opinions out there. Max, it wasn't Black Lives Matter. I actually interviewed that victim. But yeah. That's the uh, the woman out of Baltimore. Her they, The slave catchers choked their brother out. Uh, Tyrone West Which is, is his name. What he was applying, because it wasn't even Black Lives Matter, and they never even said that. So right. all his opinions was based on nothing that right. exists in reality. Yeah, she has. She's like a one man campaign. Although, of course, she got people helping her. Um, I can't remember her first name, but she has a, a a following on Facebook. But she's known in the activist community in Baltimore, but Tyrone West is her brother's name. I can't recall um, her first name right now, but we interviewed her, so that that wasn't black. Like you said, she ain't even 
associated just because different groups turn out at the same rally or, or whatnot, because that was a rally for National Action Network. And 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 um she wasn't even invited. She was like in the crowd and, and of course since she's locally known, they trained the cameras on her and it was a localized Fox News crew that recorded her chant and uh, she was like killer cops belong in cell blocks and they chopped that's her chant right. and they chopped it up to say killer cop killer cop we won't stop yeah we won't stop kill a cop and and yeah they ended up firing that person but uh uh who uh that producer and apologized yeah and, yeah so yeah so and, and another example would be the race this just came out from the uh, Atlantic as a matter of fact Atlantic Black Star says the racist ignorance that the sheriff is caught spewing sadly represents the mindset of a large part of America. Now, I know we have a limited amount of time, Scotty, but this is only like a two and a half minute video. I want to hear people to hear what these uh, sheriffs are thinking and saying, bring them to these conclusions that these are the things that they need to do to us. They're so misinformed. For example, in this one sheriff, if you could pull it up while I'll talk in the meantime until you're ready. Uh, this one sheriff uh, it's on the new abolitionist page also, I'm sorry. This one sheriff was saying about an example of us having a black president shows that we're past racism. Like we wouldn't, if we didn't, if we weren't past racism, we wouldn't have a black president. He says our attorney general is black. And he, the way he expresses this as if those black faces spouting white supremacist doctrines somehow prove that oppression does not exist. And last year at Sheriff's Association's gathering, their annual gathering, they determined, based on their, their own, uh, I don't know, logic, that somehow people like what we're doing right here at New Abolitionist Radio is the greatest threat to the American security. This is what these people believe, that me educating you who didn't know about modern-day slavery is the greatest threat to this entire country. Is this the article that's on uh, Atlanta Black Star? Yes, yes. Uh, okay. The racist ignorance that this sheriff is called. It's a long title. Spewing sadly represents yeah, the of a large part of America. I got uh, it, but it's going, it's going to take a moment. Right. It may and take a moment. You may get a commercial in the beginning because, you know, when we talk about things of this importance, you got to sell some guy commercials or some guy insurance first. <laughs> or, <laughs> you got to buy a GM car or something first. Yeah, uh, the site sometimes takes, takes a minute to load, so... Yeah, it's a short video. I just want our listeners to hear the mindset that creates these environments where they just think that we need to be criminalized and that everything is fine and we're past racism. And despite the logic, despite the facts, despite the studies, they ignore all of that and just go with what they well, Max, feel. Before we play this video, though, I have to say, I didn't hear the whole uh, speech of the outgoing CEO of USA Inc., Barack Obama. I didn't hear his speech. I heard some bits and pieces, some clips. And somebody played a clip uh, earlier today, matter of fact, on the program uh, of our media partner. Man, he was being awful apologetic for white people practicing racism and telling us to be sympathetic to their plight and stop thinking that they always have privilege and I was like man you just true to form even in your last speech yeah. on the way out the door blaming victims and telling them to be more sympathetic mm -hmm. to their oppressors so I, I you know again admittedly I didn't hear the whole speech so I hope I'm not talking about it out of context but um, based off of what I heard I was like very disappointed 
And um, so right, he didn't when, tell them to work with us. He told us to work with them. Right, like, we need to consider their feelings. Yeah. Not they need to consider ours or what was going on with the people who are actually oppressed, but the guys now who are on a you know a little downslope of their supremacy. It's not as good as it usually is. We are supposed to sympathize with them. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, you are right. It's going to load up this advertisement, but uh, this is a uh, Pensacola Sheriff, a video by the Pensacola Sheriff Office. And that yeah. that's like that those sheriffs, man. It's another one, Steve Israel. He's in the county where uh, that person shot up the airport. He said some pretty nasty pro-slave catcher type things, man, attacking Colin Kaepernick. So uh, it doesn't surprise me that this sheriff is is from from uh, Florida because uh, they seem to have be taking on a particular mindset. And I don't want to say it's in the South because then. These people, uh, from what they've been saying, I be, they pale in comparison to the uh, the the sheriff of Wisconsin. What's his name? Sheriff uh, David Clark Jr., where he be riding mm-hmm. on that horse with his cowboy hat up there in, in Milwaukee. I tell you what, um, he said some pretty egregious things, calling people's urban scum and need to be exterminated and and in in pay, writing that and being published by major papers and you want to call somebody come after somebody like free thought project or black agenda and call them fake news when you got these people putting out blatantly racist propaganda and telling people to exterminate black people that's what am i exaggerating max is that not what what that sheriff that's in wisconsin said. david clark the black lies, he said black lies matter because he don't call them lies they call them lies as if their yes. very existence so, is a lie the so, black lives matter movement these people need to be exterminated that came from an officer a sheriff in uh wisconsin whose budget is like three billion a year for the department of justice and has some of the highest rates of incarceration for black versus white in the entire nation while in uniform on national television, calling for the extermination of American citizens for no other reason than their skin color and alleged association. Yes. And and he's being considered anything is black lives matter. Now he reportedly is being considered for a position with the incoming CEO's uh, administration. So this is Sheriff Morgan, um, again, this is Sheriff Morgan, the Pensacola, Florida Sheriff. This is him. Let's hear what he got to say. This slave catcher. American. Hold up. We're Americans. I am fourth generation Welsh. I or my family do not pretend, nor do we say we are Welsh American. We are Americans. I was not born in Wales. And the blacks that currently reside in the United States of America are not from Africa. Those sorts of terms that society has come to use are divisive in nature. So what are the issues in the minority community in Escambia County? Many are real and many are perceived. And I will tell you that I think most of them are perceived. And here's why. Again, let's go back to the history of our nation and where we currently are today. Not that many years ago, the thought of electing an African-American president would have been unthinkable in the United States of America. And I would remind black Americans that you are a little less than 13% of the entire population of the United States, less than 13%. Now that's every man, woman, and child in the United States of America of black ancestry. Had every one of those people been voter eligible, only 13% could have voted 
for President Obama. But President Obama has won two elections as President of the United States. Now what does that mean? That means a whole host of white people and Hispanic people and Asian people and American Indians cast a vote for President Obama. The statistics are that if we're such a racist nation, why do we currently have an African-American president? Why was General Chappie James the first four-star black general? And why was General Colin Powell promoted to Chief of Staff and later to Secretary of State? Why do we currently have an Attorney General, Eric Holder, who is also a black American? So I would tell you statistically, <clears throat> anyone that makes an argument that the United States of America is a racist nation is focusing on specific instances of where we may have had problems with race relations, but it certainly does not paint any organization or any individual or any nation as racist. We have unfortunately in the black community embraced a thug culture, one that aggrandizes, again, foul language, shooting cops, abusing women, and if you don't think those things have an effect on our children, you need to get a great... Um, yeah, like my blood pressure's up right now. Well, First let me just chime in on some stuff right there. Okay, for example, I just did a video and I was criticized by a black person for making this video about the hip-hop legacy of Barack Obama. You know, the hip-hop community, which has been co-opted co-opted by corporations uh, when he want to talk about that culture or that music that glamorizes white people control those industries they decide which artist gets to go on, come on the air and talk about blowing off another African person's face off uh, they get to talk about selling drugs and all this white corporations control so called black music uh, today the radio stations that play this garbage, they are under FCC regulations, okay? So the federal government doesn't have to, could shut these radio stations down, could find them. Um, I don't know how much money, uh, you know, their fines are because I've never heard about one being fined. So for playing obscene music and not adhering to community standards to, to be privileged enough to get a license, to broadcast on the public uh, terrestrial airwaves. So while he want to talk about the black community, first he said, we in the black community. You ain't black and, and, and what have you. You came on talking about your Welsh ancestry and, and there is no such thing as black ancestry. Again, I do use the term black as a signifier as a solidarity to black people all over the, the planet. Fact that he can say Welsh. Yeah, just that alone to black people all over the planet. Difference. Like but, I don't know where my people from, what what part of Africa, the people that I can trace my. I don't know, but you know Welsh. Well, as some people do know now, some people have done their DNA or some. or traced their. But some people know. But wait a minute, man. So let, let me finish, man. But he said the labels, people calling themselves African American, and these labels is the problem. This goes to what I was saying to a person who calls themselves a Moor, and Moor is a Latin word for black, so stop criticizing black people or anybody who identify as a solidarity means by calling themselves black. But um, um, what I was saying, that they're, he talking about black ancestry. There is no such thing as black ancestry. Black is, a, is legally is a classification uh, that came in 
uh, from the slave codes and the introduction of white supremacy, what a lot of people call white supremacy. All right. So there, but we do have ancestry to either it's Africa. Uh, some of us have, have multiple lines of ancestry. Uh, okay. I refer to myself as an Afro Carolinian because I can through the senses connect myself to an indigenous, uh, person here in the Carolinas, which was popular, which was populated. Uh, also, um, trace my ancestry to Africans who were free here in North Carolina. So I had that African ancestry as well. So for who, who see that he's thinking like a super predator. He thinks he gets mm-hmm. to determine who calls who or how people self-identify. But I've seen that from the Moors. The Moors come caught up on names and what people call themselves and saying that's why that's the problem. Black people calling themselves black. No, the problem ain't black people or calling themselves this, that, or the other, or you calling yourself black, which you obviously ain't looked up the root word, which more means black. There's a European language. And and so and so you can't say what people are calling themselves is the problem. No, it's it's the people practicing racism that's the problem. The people that's practicing slavery that's the problem. It ain't the problem ain't because of what a person called themselves. Because when Europeans came here, starting with the Spaniards, arrived here first in this area they call North Carolina. Okay, and people were calling themselves whatever they were calling themselves, Mississippians, since that was the culture that was already here, an actual nation, or whatever tribe they belonged to. They was calling themselves that. They wasn't calling themselves black, red, yellow, whatever. And it did not stop genocide and land theft from happening to them. So it's just lunacy or ludicrous to suggest that if you call yourself Mexican American, if you call yourself Irish American, if you call yourself Black American, which I don't really hear anybody calling themselves that, or African American, that ain't the root cause of the problem. It's not what people call themselves. The problem is the people practicing racism and slavery. That's the problem right there, Max. Well, we don't have a lot of time left, so I just want to keep mine brief. I don't give a damn what your opinion is. I didn't pay you for no opinion. You ain't getting paid to get up and tell me how to think, what I perceive, what my problem is. You're paid to protect and serve. So shut your damn mouth and go protect and serve. We don't give a damn about your opinion. We don't give a damn what you think. And don't tell us that it's what you perceive. And they're wrong about this. And they were no, the white man who arrests the black people doesn't get to tell us how racism works. Take your tired ass somewhere else with that damn illogical fallacy filling filled drivel that you are perpetuating on the American public passing it on it nonsense as something that makes sense because we got a black president then racism gone and we got a black attorney general and racism's gone like you can't read the statistics like everybody else can so you just throw the window for what you think and that's your problem that's a lot of people's problem they're so concerned about what they think they forget about needing to know things sometimes well Max uh... that pissed me off just hearing this guy 
spit that out of his mouth and knowing that he's responsible for the lives of my brothers and sisters, the freedom and slavery of my brothers and sisters when you run around like some kind of foolish-ass clown talking out of the wrong end of your body. You don't need to be under a mic. You need to be out protecting. No, no, I agree with, I forgot. I think what we're going to do uh, with the limited time that we have. Sister Ali. I've already posted our writer of the 21st Century Underground Railroad to New Abolitionist Radio's page. You can go ahead and take a click and look through that. We are remembering our ancestors every week here. So just make sure you take a click and look through that. And uh, maybe Scotty can do the same because we've only got two minutes left. We've got to close it up for really now. Yeah, we got, we actually so are out of time. Day. We are actually out of time. Huh? We were kind of free-flowing it. So yeah, yeah but I was going to suggest that Sister Nataki uh, Kamban is our abolitionist in profile for the night. There you go. There you go. Uh, big ups to that. I have listening profile with our guests for this evening. It's just going to talk. Um, you've been listening to New Abolitionist Radio here at Black Talk Radio Network. Um, we are trying our best to bring light to this subject, which has been in the dark for so long. And we believe that there's only one answer to slavery, and that's abol- abolition. You can't reform a crime. Scotty, any last words? Uh, no, except for we will be transitioning in the next couple of minutes to Minds, uh, Body, and Spirit Radio, uh, the first broadcast of uh, 2017, first broadcast ever, actually. So don't go anywhere. Those who are listening through our YouTube, Facebook, and Google Plus Twitter streams, uh, we'll be changing out those streams momentarily. So we'll be right back. Um, on Black Talk Radio Network with Mind, Body, and Spirit Radio. Uh, peace to the you know, abolitionists. To hey, hey, peace to the abolitionists and death to the oppressors. Hey, I'm laughing at you, Johanny, because you were snoring, dog. <laughs> Remember, abolition is the reason for a revolution, so we can finally know some peace. Peace.